We have a major problem on our southern border. This is obvious. This is not novel to observe. But nonetheless, as obvious as the problem is, we haven't done anything about it. One of the things that I've said is that this is a solvable problem. I believe that if we can't secure our other southern border by other means, it is a legally, morally, and ethically justified use of U.S. military resources to actually secure our own southern border. And I've gone into depth as to why that's in line with even norms like posse comitatus, which say we can't use the military to carry out law enforcement functions. That's different from actually securing using the military to secure literally the border itself. But there's a deeper question in our country that we sometimes sidestep and avoid, frankly. Many conservatives do, certainly, by focusing exclusively on the border issue without addressing what our policy ought to be on immigration itself. You could say our immigration system is broken, and it is. But part of the reason that it's broken is that we first have to decide what our objectives are. What are we actually trying to achieve through immigration in the first place? And in my experience, this is something that many in our movement, forget the left, many conservatives themselves have, I think, purposefully been, or maybe subconsciously, been vague on. And I think that one of the things that I hope this presidential primary season does is we smoke out where we stand, not just on the lengths to which we will go to achieve border security, but also what we hope to achieve through our system of legal immigration. And I think once we've identified that objective, then reforming it accordingly becomes that much easier. So I'm joined today by someone who has thought deeply about both sets of questions, questions relating to border security, especially at the southern border, but also the question of broader reform of the immigration system, and even not just the reform of the immigration system, but reflecting on what the objectives of our immigration system ought to be. It's Mark Krikorian. He is the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies, if I got the name of the institute correct. Uh, and he's joining us in the podcast. I can see you live now, so it's good to see you, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Well, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So let's start with the, in some ways, actually the easier issue, which is border security. Um, I talk about this issue a lot, but you're one of the few people who will know more about this than I do. So I'm looking forward to learning from you about it. What do you see as the essence of the problem and how do we actually address it? This is more a question of political will than it is of capacity. In the intro, you said, you know, uh, if we can't fix it any other way, we're fully justified in using military force. Well, I agree with the second part. I mean, I agree generally with that, but the premise is that we can't fix it otherwise. And the fact is, you know, we we can deal with the border through normal law enforcement means. It, the, the ability is there. Border Patrol agents know how to do it. We know that by changing the incentives for potential illegal immigrants, we will change their behavior because illegal immigrants are people just like any other, uh, and we're unwilling to do it. In other words, I think the resort to talking about military force is, uh, I don't know, I got to say, I think it's an overreaction okay. to the fact that the Biden administration is the reason this is happening. 
Under Trump, everything wasn't perfect. There were still things we needed to fix, but the border was stabilized. It's doable. It's just that we have to actually want to do it. And border control doesn't just happen at the border. In other words, um, you have to have a, you have to do a better job outside the United States, both in being tougher in who you give visas to, because remember, many illegal immigrants come in legally and never leave, but also in working with foreign countries, neighboring countries, what in the, um, the uh, immigration uh, area you call gatekeeper countries, because nobody's walking across the U.S. border without walking across Mexico uh, and many other places, too. So it, border control starts outside the border. Then it starts at the border. And what we're doing now is taking illegal immigrants into custody. And this administration in two plus years has let go two million, more than two million illegal border jumpers into the United States. So, of course, that's going to encourage more. And then you have to do a better job inside the country, because if people know that if they can get past the Border Patrol, they're home free, then more people are going to try. So, but none of those things requires shooting anybody. It doesn't require, you know, alligators and moats or any of these kind of performative ideas about border enforcement. It's a, no, it's a law enforcement problem, and we need to approach it that way, and we can solve it that way. So I, I think I'm, I'm interested in that question. I think that there were gaps even under the Trump administration. But just for a second here, I think take the performative element out of it. What is objectionable about, from a resource or pragmatic or legal perspective, about using literally stationing undeployed military? We have hundreds of thousands, literally hundreds of thousands, that we quite literally physically as a deterrent could use. I'm not talking about shooting people or anything else, but people see the military stationed at the border. That literally makes border crossing. We could station enough people there to make it impossible I take your point about incentives and everything else, but if we have the will and we at least start with stemming the bleeding that way, let's just start from that angle and then back into your proposed solutions. Why is that undesirable from your vantage point? Well, I mean, we use military troops on the border all the time. It's just that they're doing, you know, surveillance uh, assistance to the border patrol, that kind of thing. In other words, they're doing support functions. But the fact is, you know, the point of the military is to kill the enemy. Lethality is the most important um, characteristic of a military force. And we actually have some small experience with that. We Many years ago, there were some anti-drug patrols on the border, armed Marines. Uh, and these kind of things happen at night mostly. Obviously, that's when, uh, you know, bad guys do their thing. Uh, they came upon a kid who was watching his goats and had a shotgun to or a 22 or something to deal with coyotes they didn't know what he was he didn't know what they was they he pointed a gun at him they ended up killing him politically that was disastrous and any sustainable border control policy or immigration policy needs to keep in mind the potential political risks and so my my objection is not so much using the military in a support function, uh, which I'm fine with and can, in fact, yield results. It's that it is seen, it is heard by many people as garrisoning the border 
uh, and, you know, and basically in shooting people who are coming across just as, you know, it's uh, any other, just like the, our soldiers in the Fulda Gap in Germany during the Cold War. Their job wasn't there to do law enforcement. Their job was to shoot at the Warsaw Pact if they came across. That's my problem. It's, a, it's sort of a category uh, error, if you know what I mean. I understand the way in which it is a categorical breach of traditional norms. But there is, you know, I think a situation of crisis at the border, as I see it, certainly, that there are drugs crossing the southern border that are killing a couple hundred Americans per day on average. Uh, I think that not only the political risks, but we want, you know, human beings are to be treated humanely. I don't think that the U.S. military has to be deployed in a way that it's objective is to shoot. Most of the places where the U.S. military is deployed, I mean, even most of the work that was done in places like even in Iraq and Afghanistan, which are war zones, were not actually principally even focused on the lethal use of force. And so my view is it is not a desirable solution. It is not the most desirable solution, but neither are we at anything resembling the most desirable starting point. And given where we are now to at least stem the bleeding of, you know, trafficked human beings, of illegal immigrants, of drugs crossing our southern border, I think it is a, it is, to me, it's, a, in my opinion, a legitimate, and I think posse comitatus, which basically says you can't use military to carry out a law enforcement function. Uh, just because something's a law enforcement function doesn't mean that it is a foreign policy, that it isn't a foreign policy threat for which the military can aptly be used if they're literally stationed on the border. Uh, it's just a pragmatic solution that is a more effective version of building the wall that I, before we leave that topic, just wanted to ask you about the, the logistics of that. You know, uh, station people X number of yards apart, 100 yards apart. People across the border in the U.S. military, as I understand it on the math of it, with a few hundred thousand people, we would be able to cover most regions that are already not protected. Is, is that just a ludicrous idea from a pragmatic implementation standpoint? No, not necessarily. My, my main – the point I'm trying to get across is if we were to change policy, in other words, administrations were to change such that it would be possible that there would be someone willing to actually roll out that kind of mission – we would be changing the law enforcement part of it as well, and you would see overnight changes. Because any time there's a significant policy change at the border, prospective illegal immigrants respond to that. Illegal immigration at the border dropped when Trump was elected before he even took office, because people said, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Let's lay back. So let's say you or Governor DeSantis or former President Trump get elected next year. As soon as that happens, because of the significant role that the immigration debate will have taken in the in the campaign, crossings are going to drop immediately, giving a new administration the immediate chance to change the policies. So um, again, I'm not against I'm not against it. My only point is, if we had a situation where use of the military were actually possible because of a change in administrations, a change in all the other policies would also be taking place, which would render, I think, most of the use of the military as a redundant. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, 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 I 
Um, I appreciate. I mean, point. I don't want to belabor the policy. No, no, no. I'm just saying it that, does. It doesn't. Yeah. And neither do I, for that matter. Yeah. Because your point is, if we're at the point where you have a president who's willing to take that step, we're already right over the target in the promised land, anyway. And exactly. So, so, so let me hear your view in terms of pragmatically speaking. Let's say we do have the political will from the top, uh, starting at the White House. You know, I've been very clear where I stand on this. Let's say you're in the White House advising me on how to implement this. What would you? What steps would you take to address this problem to a place where this isn't a top twenty issue for us in the country anymore? Uh, it's never going to go away because you know, just like foreign policy or tax policy, yeah. immigration policy is always an issue, including the border. First thing you do is you have to stop releasing people who cross the border. Okay. Federal law mandates detention of anyone who crosses the border illegally until their case is completed. This administration has let go 2 million plus people. How many, can I get the numbers from you? How many, they've let go 2 million people under Biden alone? Over 2 million people, yeah. And what, what do they do when they let them go? Where do they go? They go wherever they want to go, where they have relatives or if they In hop the US. on a bus. In the U.S. No, that's the whole point is they release them into the United States. Well over 2 million, but that's just based on the publicly available information. <clears throat> and there's some gaps there. So these are people, half of them, they've released with what's called parole, which is a narrow policy that Congress gave the president to let in people who are inadmissible for a narrow reason, like emergency medical care or testifying in a trial. And uh, this president has blown that open and used it basically as a tool to let anybody he wants go into the United States. And then the other million or so they've let, o let go under other pretenses. But the point is you have to stop that. You do whatever's necessary. You build, you know, tent cities to detain people. You immediately do the initial screening for the asylum process, not the whole hearing, just the screening interview. And vast majority of people simply are not eligible for asylum at all and bounce people back home. What is what changes the behavior of prospective illegal immigrants, people thinking about sneaking into the United States, is seeing their neighbors and relatives coming back on deportation planes broke and disappointed. That's what changes behavior. And that is what this administration is simply sort of uh, kind of in constitutionally incapable. I don't mean in a legal sense. I mean, they're just inherently psychologically incapable of doing it. They're constituted in, the, in a way that they just can't do it. So, you know, how much of this is a because uh, this is part of the reason why I'm also drawn to a, um, you know, admittedly short term, but use of military and capacity as commander in chief. How much of this is a will at the top problem versus what you can call maybe a deep state problem or a administrative bureaucracy, cult, bureaucratic culture problem such that even if you did swap in, say, myself for Biden, which had very different political will, that's what I'm aiming to do, how much of that is still going to be attenuated, to put it kindly, through the culture of a bureaucracy that maybe has gotten acclimated in the shadow of Biden. It may have been that way even before Biden as well. Uh, no, actually, it, that's not the main. The, the deep state issue is not the problem here because okay. the culture of the Border Patrol, the culture of ICE, these are law enforcement agencies. 
their, you know, their culture is law enforcement oriented. There may be some inertia and things like this. I'm not, I mean, it's still bureaucracies, but the, the um, sort of natural inclination of people who sign up for law enforcement is to enforce the law. This is a problem. Uh, the root cause of this problem at the border is sitting in the Oval Office. And then all the other people that were appointed because of that. So, I mean, let's not exaggerate the president's actual control over his own administration. Nonetheless, um, the people that have been appointed as political appointees to oversee the immigration issues are, are the most extreme activist group uh, people. In other words, they're from these organ anti-borders organizations outside the government, and they were appointed to these important positions in the government. So getting rid of those folks and putting in political appointees, which a new president would do, who actually agree with the mission of the organization that they have been placed in, can result in pretty dramatic and quick changes because those new political appointees would be not be going against the grain as they are now. They'd be going with the grain of pre-existing law enforcement organizations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. It, it, so, so I want to get to the legal immigration reform in a second, but just is it your view that this main issue of actually enforcing the law and stopping releasing people in the U.S. and deport them back is the single greatest lever? And would you put a number two on that list? Or do you think that that mostly gets the job done? Well, that's the most important thing. There are some legal changes, statutory changes that are necessary, and there are regulatory changes that take time because of the way regulations, you know, they have to be drawn up and then put out for public comment and what have you. What are the top couple? Uh, well, top one would be uh, changing the uh, asylum rules to make to make clear that the grounds for asylum do not include things like, uh, you know, uh, threats from gangs or domestic violence and what have you, because there are these um, huge loopholes in our asylum law. Another thing that this administration actually issued a low calorie decaf version of a rule of a regulation that the Trump people had put in place, but judges stopped and they ran out of time to finish litigating it is to say, you don't get to apply for asylum if you pass through another country where you should have applied for asylum. Mexico has an asylum system. Uh, they have a bureaucracy. They have an agency. It's called COMAR. They give asylum to thousands of people every year. If you haven't applied there and you've crossed through Mexico and come to the United States, you shouldn't be allowed even to apply for asylum. There's that regulation, that's something that you know, can be done through regulation, but doesn't happen on January 20th, because that's not how regulations happen. But job one would be you detain people, deport them quickly. That uh, doesn't solve the whole thing, but that's the first thing you have to do. And that's that regulation is not on the books now. There's a watered down version of it that this administration issued that has so many loopholes in it that the loopholes are swallowing the whole thing. We've written on that at our website at cis.org. So do you think that the you know part of the problem here is that Mexico doesn't have enough of an incentive to stop this as well? I mean, in a certain sense, they're happy when the kinds of some of the people who are crossing are indeed crossing, right? Generally speaking, yes, a, a neighboring country, whether it's Mexico to us or say 
Turkey or Morocco for Europe. Those countries, they're gatekeeper countries, they're transit countries. We have to give them an incentive to want to work with us. What this administration has done is basically said they're unwilling to enforce our immigration laws, but they are expecting Mexico to do it for us. They're not going to do that. Under Trump, the message we sent was, look, we're serious about enforcing our laws. We want to cooperate with you in helping us. And by the way, if you don't, there are going to be consequences. Carrot and stick, as it were. You know what I mean? And that worked under Trump. It doesn't work, though, if you're not willing to enforce your own laws and are just telling your neighbor, you have to enforce our border for us. Why would they do that? What would be the stick in that relationship? Trade sanctions. Yep. This is what Trump said. You know, we're going to start putting tariffs on your trade. And that would hurt us to some degree. Uh, because our economies are intertwined more than they used to be. But boy, Mexico needs us a whole lot more than we need them. And that got Mexico's attention right away. Uh, and again, it doesn't have to be nasty or over the top. You can just sort of hint at it. They understand what's going on. But there needs to be an expectation on their part that you're to be taken seriously. And nobody takes the Biden administration or President Biden seriously. And so they get away with whatever they want to do rather than what is in our interest. The carrot part, to some degree, is money. I mean, that's what Europe did with Turkey. They basically gave them a big bag of money. And I assume there was some you know, deposits to Swiss bank accounts and what have you. You bribe the country to some degree. It's both carrot and stick. And it works. And this administration just has no clue on how to do that. Mm. No, it's it. I mean, I think putting the question of tactics to one side of whether you take the approaches you've described and then ease your way into something more or given the state of affairs where you start with actually stemming the bleeding and then work your way and peel off, you know, start with the military on the border as well and then peel off once you have law enforcement in place uh, th that those are tactical questions. But I think we're we're in deep agreement. And actually, I frankly took a lot away from your point on the regulations. I wasn't aware about the gang related uh, justification for asylum or the fact that somebody couldn't have sought asylum in Mexico while passing through and still seeking asylum here. That seems like low hanging fruit to change. And so, you know, I, I think that you make too much sense, uh, apparently, for the current administration to, to follow your lead. Let, let me switch gears, though, I think, to the to the more difficult question. And you you brought this up in the brief chat we were having even before we get started on the podcast. What should we want to do with our legal immigration system? And, and, and I think this is the question. I mean, I think that we sometimes sidestep and debate each other, but actually, why don't we just man up and answer that question first is the way I see it. I agree because too many politicians get away with, and I don't think it's planned, but they say legal good, illegal bad. Yeah. I mean, Ted Cruz actually said that. And look, I'm not a Cruz hater. I voted for him in 2016 in the primaries. But he literally said, my immigration policy is four words, legal, good, illegal, bad. That means nothing. Of course, illegal immigration is bad. But how much legal immigration? What legal immigration? What's the point of it, as you said? In other words, why do we have it? And my take on this is that um, a modern society, in a modern society, immigration works out fundamentally differently from what it did in the past. In other words, that the immigrants aren't really different today from 100 or 200 years ago. We're different in good ways and bad ways. But all of those ways make 
mass immigration fundamentally incompatible with the goals and characteristics of a modern society. So what that means is not zero immigration, but zero-based budgeting in legal immigration. You start at zero because a continental nation with a third of a billion people doesn't actually need any immigration. But what categories of people have such a compelling case to be admitted that we admit them anyway? And for me, that would be three groups of people, because all immigration basically has three flows, family, skills, and humanitarian. Family would be husbands, wives, and little kids of American citizens. Everybody agrees on that. That's sort of a But not non, parents, which is, I think, key. Not parents. Yep, not yep, adult yep. parents of adult U.S. I mean, parents of adult U.S. citizens. No, not in my view. Husbands, so, wives, husbands, and kids. wives, and little kids of U.S. citizens. There's a lot of fraud and, in that and, and flow. And little kids, you're saying. Little, yeah, yeah, minor children. Yeah, yeah minor children. Yep. Not adult children. Um, and that's unlimited now. Uh, it's always going to be, it should be, if you're an American citizen, you have the right to expect your fellow citizens to let you bring in somebody that you marry, you know, that you met during your junior year abroad in Italy, or you adopt a Colombian baby. As long as it's legit, that's fine. But that's a lot of people. That's 350, 400,000 people a year right there. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. And over time, it would decline. But half of U.S. citizens who marry foreigners are themselves earlier immigrants, but the other half are native-born Americans. So there's always going to be some of that. That's number one. That's the bulk of it, in my opinion. The second category would be skills. And, you know, we, we have an interest in admitting Einsteins, but humanity doesn't produce that many Einsteins every year. And so this is kind of a subjective question. Where, how high do you want to set the bar for the skills of people you let in. I set the bar pretty high. People are going to have other opinions, but I think people who are truly the top talents on the planet in their fields, we should, I'll, drive their, I'll drive to their house and give them their green card. But that's not the way our immigration system works now. We, we let in lots of people who are, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, uh, but they're sort of average talents. So, so, so they got that category. Then the third category is, is, is humanitarian. humanitarian. As asylum and refugees. And I've actually gotten much more hardcore on that over the years because asylum we talked about, nobody who went through another country where they should have applied for asylum should be allowed to apply here. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. So, so on each category, now 350,000 on the family, how many do we have on skills? I don't have a magic number, but let's say 25,000. That's it right now? No, no, no. Now, no, no, yeah. uh, no. Now it's like a hundred and forty thousand. Yeah, that sounds more like plus. it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking about it. No, my no, no you're, kind you're of, desired. Okay, fine. Yeah. So, so, no, no, no. But and I'm just trying to get the status status quo. So three. Well, the status quo is about a million people a year. So six hundred thousand family members altogether. That includes. Oh, the oh, other people. So three fifty was your desired was my, number. Is that the see, husbands, wives, and little so kids? We're, we're, right now, though, it's six hundred k. Something like six hundred thousand. Hundred and forty for the yeah. second category, and then how many for asylum? Uh, for when that's refugees and asylum, everything put together, all the humanitarian immigration put together, you're getting to. It depends on changes on years, but let's say something like a hundred thousand or more. Got it. And then how many illegals per year are crossing the southern border right now? About a million. Well, uh, the apprehensions of illegal immigrants last year were 2.2 million. Mm. Now, some of those people were bounced back. Some of those people are the same ones multiple times, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So apprehensions is a different number from the increase in the flow. But 
legal immigration, permanent legal immigration, when you put all the categories together, because we also have something called a visa lottery for 50,000 randomly selected people around the world, you end up with about a million a year for the green cards that we give out every year. I would bring that down to, say, 400,000, roughly speaking. Yeah, that's that's the Tom Cotton bill is about 400,000. It's probably yeah. more than that. I mean, people, I think, are mis... But it's probably more like five or 600. But the point is, it is a reduction. See, my, I like the zero-based budgeting point. I do like the zero-based budgeting, because that speaks to me. I just... I think that there's a legitimate debate about, let's actually do the exercise. And maybe that number might end up being more than... 400,000. And the reason I get there is we have a massive worker. I mean, the number one obstacle to businesses growing today to GDP growth in this country, arguably, is a worker shortage. So, so from the standpoint of many businesses to say that there's a skilled worker and skilled doesn't mean Einstein's on this view, right? It could be somebody with like a welder or like a right. mechanic, right? It's very hard for businesses to hire them. So somebody's legally coming to, to the country with those skills or willing to, and I think you know, you haven't brought this up, Mark, but I think that we should bring civic commitments up front too, knowing something about the country, the constitution, even to sort of get in, let alone for the citizenship portion. But if we really have that kind of screen and we have way more than, you know, 140,000 a year, even to get through, I, 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 if it's, I start from zero-based budgeting, but in principle, I don't have a problem with that. What's your reaction? Yeah. See, the thing about the labor shortage idea, businesses need more workers, what have you, and, and people will point to the unemployment rate, which is pretty low. But the unemployment rate is not a false thing, but it's, a, it's an artifact of particular definitions. Unemployment in the government definition means you have looked for a job in the past four weeks. Yeah, I agree with it's artificial. I forget the yes. unemployment numbers, but I'm just stating a fact that it is an obstacle for businesses to be able to hire people with certain skills today. No, I get that. But one of the reasons businesses have that problem is because what is called the labor force participation rate has been going down. In other words, there are an increasingly large number of Americans who aren't even looking for work. Part of that is because of our welfare policies. Part of that is, certain, frankly, because of immigration. Part of it is because of drug issues and what have you. But those people aren't going away. My concern with the approach um, that a lot of businesses want is that what we're essentially saying to our fellow citizens who are not participating in the job market is what we're telling them is, here's your welfare check and your fentanyl. Go away. We're importing somebody else. And I'm look, I'm not ascribing that to you. I'm no, just no, no, saying no. I'm, that dead. I'm with you is my point. I'm like dead. I'm with you because like the domestic policy agenda, putting people back to work in this country, I'm all about that. We need to address that. But as a, as a separate note, even if we're zero-based budgeting into skills, are you sure Einstein's the right definition versus just saying, hey, we have a mismatch between... You know, some guy sitting at home in his mom's basement smoking pot and watching Netflix. Yeah, we have a cultural problem in this country and that we need to fix that. And I'm very focused on it. But in the meantime, do we think that somebody who's wants to be an industrious citizen of the country as a plumber that wants to come when you have a shortage of plumbers in this country and legally and make the civic commitments and everything shouldn't be, um, you know, we shouldn't want that person coming. I think that's the question. My problem is. In, in bringing in the plumber from abroad, who's a perfectly good, there's nothing wrong with the guy, but bringing him in makes the meantime become indefinite. Because where is the incentive for business and politicians to actually 
undertake the changes when the pressure to make those changes isn't there. That's my, that's my real concern. It's not that the plumber is a bad guy. It's that bringing him in enables the plumbing company to say, well, okay, I'm not going to come up with some new way of trying to recruit kids in high school or whatever it is, because I, this is the path of least resistance. I got you. And, and, and so that brings me to actually the last question I wanted to close on is, uh, where are you on uh, temporary worker programs? I'm totally against them. I mean, maybe at high, at high end, it's less of a problem. And I mean, high end, like college professors and what have you. But those are the only ones that become that end up being truly temporary, because especially in um, lower skilled occupations, and I don't mean that as a normative thing, I mean just sort of blue collar occupation, whether it's farming or anything else. Farming in particular. There's yeah. nothing as permanent as a temporary worker. What was the what was the Mexican what was the word for the Mexican? It was immigrant? called the Bracero program. Yeah, Bracero program. Arms, yeah. Strong arms. The problem is the Bracero program is one of the reasons we have a Mexican illegal immigration problem. Uh, one thing that really struck me there was that many years ago there were a bunch of former Braceros retired who sued the federal government for reparations because a lot of their pay was stolen by Mexican banks. In other words, it was given to the bank so that they, when they went home, they'd get the money. And it was stolen. It was the 50s. It was Mexico. What did you expect? Those people who filed the lawsuit, they all had settled in the United States and had grandchildren here already. Um, bringing in temporary workers doesn't solve anything and simply creates future immigration flows. So I'm, I just don't think there's any good way to do that. There are some practical, small tweaks you can make before you do a more fundamental change. And just one I'd mentioned, for instance, the H-1B program, which you're going to be familiar with. A lot of tech companies use it. It's a kind of white-collar Bracero program, but there are people who come in under it who really are high-skilled folks. But when there's more demand from businesses than there are visas, they distribute those, the government does, by lottery instead of by the highest salary. So if you're going to keep the H-1B program, at least give the visas to the people that the businesses value the most and as sort of a proxy for their effect on the economy, rather than just give them out randomly to, you know, to anybody who applies. And also the lottery system is kind of a weird way to do it too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sort of a bizarre. So, so um, what's your perspective on, you know, these um, – you know, you talk about the Einsteins, the people who we bring to this country. I mean, I went to some of these when I was at Harvard, some of these kids who, you know, literally had to leave after we have one of the greatest universities in the world. You know, I mean, well, it's gone downhill in other ways since then, but put that to one side, you know, at least for most of its history, even it's a different place even when I went there than it is today. But educating, going through the trouble of educating these people and then actually want to be productive workers here and can't. Uh, you know, what's your perspective on that issue? I mean, that's because that's H-1B related as well, I suppose. The first issue is why are we admitting so many foreign students? Totally. Totally. I mean, we have literally no numerical cap on foreign students. We have, There are a million foreign students in this country at any time. And I mean, I've spoken with a Chinese foreign student who basically said, you guys are saps for letting us all into your top universities and crowding out American kids who would be going to these places. I mean, you know, the number of seats at MIT isn't infinite. 
Um, and I'm not saying there should be no foreign students, but it seems to me we need to have a cap on foreign students. We need to have a cap on the percentage of any foreign of foreign students in any one university, because um, you know uh, all of these institutions, even the private ones, let alone the public ones, are beneficiaries of public policy. They're either funded by the taxpayer or they have, you know, tax-free endowments and what have you. And so they should be serving the interests of the American people broadly rather than just trying to maximize their revenue, which is what they're doing now. I'm with you on that because then you also then solve our skill shortage and worker shortage with people who are actually homegrown. I mean, not, not, you know, not entirely, but to some degree. Well, Mark, rich conversation, high density, took a lot away from it in a short amount of time. I have a feeling we're going to stay in touch. And, uh, you know, if I'm elected, you know, I think we're going to be talking more on turning some of this into action. So I appreciate that. Excellent. Well, thank you. Happy to do it. I'm Vivek Ramaswamy, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Paid for by Vivek 2024.